Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, A Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, September 11th, 2014, and we are reading from the Big Book. We are on page 156, the third paragraph that begins, But Life Was Not Easy for These Men. Today's readers are Nancy S. on the 12 Steps, Santa H. on the 12 Traditions, and reading the texts are Elaine B., Melanie C., and Anita J. The reference number for yesterday, September 10th, is 6857. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Nancy S. to read the 12 steps. Thank you, Kathy Kay, and thank you, everyone, for being here and for your service. Um, this is Nancy S. in Wisconsin, a recovering compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, and I'll pass. 
Thank you, Nancy S. I will now ask Santa H to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. Uh, Santa H from New Jersey, great book, possible reader, and these are the 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters expecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise. Lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service center may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible for those they serve. 10. Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. And 12, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principle before personality. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Santa H. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book means to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass then press star one to mute again. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book. 
on page 156, the third paragraph down, beginning, but life was not easy for the two friends. And um, I will ask Elaine B. to get us started by reading two paragraphs through to we've got him strapped down tight. Thank you. Thank you, Kathy. This is Elaine, recovered compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. But life was not easy for the two friends. Plenty of difficulties presented themselves. Both saw they must keep spiritually active. One day they called up the head nurse of a local hospital. They explained their need and inquired if she had a first-class alcoholic prospect. She replied, yes, we've got a corker. He's just beaten up a couple of nurses. Goes off his head completely when he's drinking. But he's a grand chap when he's sober. Though he's been in here eight times in the last six months. Understand that he was once a well-known lawyer in this town, but just now we've got him strapped down tight. I can relate a little to this real corker. Um, you know, when when I was in the food, it was self-will run riot. It didn't matter, you know, what was happening. Um, I I was successful professionally, but I. <laughs> I made it up the ladder stepping on the toes of my fellows, and, and they did retali- retaliate. I was trying to grab everything I could out of life, and I was just stepping all over people. I was insane. By the time I came into these rooms, I was on an intravenous drip of sugar all day long. It was like it was like my morphine. And um, I'd worked so long and so hard that by the time I had to eat, I would just... Uh, I would stuff so much food down my mouth so fast just to make my body shut up. And um, I just, I wasn't tolerant. I wasn't patient. I wasn't loving. I wasn't kind at all. And, you know, somebody should have quarantined me because I was really causing damage in the lives of others. I really feel bad as I look back at some of the people who had to work for me and, you know, Sometimes I could really ingratiate myself to try to get things done, but it was really always all about me, my project, my my reputation, my gain. Um, and yet <laughs> I found a solution. Thank God I found Overeaters Anonymous and A Vision for You and made it through these these steps. You know, I thought when I lost my weight, when I lost my extra 100 pounds, life would be easy. I thought that was my problem. But then I discovered that problems came. Life showed up in between meals. <laughs> and I really, I had tools, but, you know, they were not sufficient to deal with them. And I used them, and it, they worked for a while. But I ended up right back out in the food, right back in the insanity. And when I did, it was worse than ever. It was uh, wrecking my marriage, wrecking my family, wrecking my hope for the future. And I knew that these rooms were the answer, which is why I came crawling back. And I'm so grateful that I did. And when I did, I really did discover, I really did experience a spiritual awakening that was sufficient to bring about recovery. And since July 11th, 2013, I have not found it necessary to turn to food as a solution for my problems. Because yes, the problems still come. And it's delightful to read the story because this is the seed. This is the very, very beginning that was that grew into the inspiration of this book that 
I'm holding in my hand that has changed my life, that has changed the lives of millions throughout this world. And it said it wasn't easy for them. Plenty of difficulties presented themselves. We just read that this person became a valued person, one of these guys became a valued person in their community, but it took four years. It wasn't easy. And even still, day after day, our problems spring up around us. And I love, for those of us in the 11th step, it it says that we ask God to direct us to the next right thing to do and that we give him what we need to take care of these problems. It also says we have a new director, a new employer, being all-powerful and all-knowing. He gives us what we need. If we stay close to him and perform this work well, and these guys are just at the beginning. They knew that God set them free (laughs) and gave them the solution for alcoholism. And they're learning that they need... They need more. They need it for their problems. They need it for their everyday life. And one of the things that helps us more than anything else is working with others. So they found a real corker. And I'm really glad that one day my recovered sponsor found me and that I found the rooms of of a vision for you. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Elaine. Who would like to share on what was read? Mary. Janice. (laughs) I heard Larry and Janice. And I heard someone else. I'm sorry? Kim? Kim, okay. Anyone else? Okay, we'll go in that order. Please start, Larry. Hi, Kathy Kay. Uh, Thanks for your service. Larry, recovered compulsive reader from Chicago. So we're learning here we must keep spiritually active. And, you know, we're reminded in step 10, you know, that we resolutely turn our thoughts to someone we can help. You know, because love and tolerance of others is our code. And, you know, it it reminds me that my actions will always follow my my prevailing thinking. And, you know, for as long as I'm, you know, I'm stuck in the the self-imposed prison of me, myself, and I, that that's how long my thinking will be infused with, you know, judgment, intolerance, irritability, you know, the struggle to change uh, everyone and everything. And here, you know, we see Bill and Dr. Bob face struggles, you know, just as we do, yet um, their actions reveal the de- a desire to remain, you know, connected to God. Um, and, and in my personal experience of working these steps uh, all the way through, what I found is that, you know, once I had a complete psychic change, God changed the way I related to my environment. And it was a monumental shift for me, you know, one that I, I could never have accomplished myself. Um, you know, because I, I, I went from a man, you know, dripping with judgment, intolerance, and, you know, to a, to a, a person with a softened heart. And, and on page 97, it says, helping others is the foundation stone of my recovery. Yet a kindly act once in a while isn't enough. I have to act the Good Samaritan every day. You know, perfectly? Of course not. <laughs> you know, guess what? Like me, you're going to call someone in fellowship, maybe from vision, who may not even return your call. You know, it might be me. And when that happened to me, I used to be seething with judgment and tolerance. How dare that person, you know, speak with, you know, some authority or knowledge and and not get back to me. You know, I was the judge and the jury, and I sentenced those people to scorn. You know, today, by the grace of God, I'm able to see that it, it, you know, was my own expectations of how the script should play out that kept me stuck in my misery. So I trust today in infinite God rather than finite, you know, my finite self or finite others. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. 
Thank you, Larry. And Janice, please go ahead. Well, good morning to you, Kathy, and everyone. My name is Janice M. from Massachusetts. I am a grateful recovered compulsive overeater. And, you know, once it says life wasn't easy like was just said, no. You know, I used to think, oh, I'm recovered now. You know, all is going to be well. (laughs) Recovery is not convenient. Sometimes it's very inconvenient, recovery, being recovered. Um, But, but. It says here that um, I know for Bill and Bob, they were so grateful, as I am. I'm so grateful for this gift that I must give it away. And I think this is what the whole skill in these two paragraphs are. Bill knows on even page 14, he laid in the hospital, I'm going to just paraphrase, and he just thought, the thought came to him about how the gift was so freely given to him and that he now has to in turn give it to somebody else. Who best than than you or I that are recovered, that went through this experience, to give it to somebody else? You know, if, if people, um, compulsive overeaters, identify with us, then they can, you know, hear the problem. And this is why we must keep, we must keep spiritually active. It doesn't say spiritually knowledgeable or spiritually abstinent. Yes, we do. But active, active is action. We have to give it away. And this is why the first thing that they did was to, um, was to go seek another um, suffering alcoholic. Because after all, God gave us the opportunity. God gave me this power by re- giving me recovered by giving me a um, a change and taking away that obsession for today, that I can share that. I can share that. And that, in turn, lets me stay in spiritual condition um, by helping somebody else. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice. And Kim, please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And I'm going to kind of slam home what Janice said, that line says they explained their need, their need, and inquired if she had a first-class alcoholic prospect. You know, that I think was a big thing I was missing. I really thought sponsorship was just optional. Sponsorship was just something you did when you liked somebody and you would help them out. I didn't understand that I needed to carry this message. You know, I've heard that AA's job is basically two things, to create the need to do the work, and the need to work with others. So I'm just going to give a couple of examples in the big book where it tells us how important that is. So in the forward to the second edition, it says, um, this seems to prove that one alcoholic could affect another as no alcoholic could. It also indicated that strenuous work, one alcoholic with another, was vital to permanent recovery. And then in Bill's story, it talks about My friend emphasized the absolute necessity of demonstrating these principles in all my affairs. Particularly, it was imperative to work with others. And then we're told in the chapter with others, that first sentence, practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. So I think they're trying to stress something here. You know, a common question I get is, Kim, how do you work steps one, two, and three every day? You know, what I used to do, you know, years ago before I got to the big book is I'd wake up in the morning in terror 
you know, one bite away, one bite away. So I'm going to sit here and I'm going to say, God, I'm powerless over food and my life is unmanageable. God, I need you to do, I need you to do what I want you to do in order for me to stay abstinent. God, if I'm a good little girl and I turn my life over to you, will you do what I want? You know, and now my experience is how do I work steps one, two, and three every day? I teach it. When I teach someone that they're powerless, I reinforce that I'm powerless. When I teach someone they need a power, I reinforce my need for a higher power. When I teach someone about that vital decision to do the rest of the work, I reinforce the decision I have to do the work every single day. You know, I am so blessed that I am asked to speak at different events. And this past weekend, I was asked to speak at a weekend. And I was lit up, lit up from carrying this message. But let me tell you what was more, what was more powerful, what really lit me up was after I spoke, three girls were desperate to do the work, desperate. And we sat down for about an hour. We, you know, we had reviewed steps one, two, and three in the, in the weekend. So I sat down with them, and we went over the four-step instructions. And I said, if you want to give your fifth step, call me. That is the power of this work. That is the power. I hope to God you guys get something out of today. I do. I hope that hundreds of people on the line get something out of it. But I know my need, my need to be on this line, my need to carry this message is what motivates me on a daily basis. And with that, I pass. Thank God. Thank you, Kim. Who else would like to share on these? Rakesha? Go ahead, yeah. please. Go Thank ahead. you. Yeah, this is Rakesha from California. Recovers compulsive overeater. Thank you, Kathy. Um, I'm just so struck by these paragraphs where they equate spiritually active with seeking out someone that they can help. That's amazing to me because when when I you know, I had no spirituality when I came into program 15 years ago, and when I would see the word spiritually active, to me that meant sitting cross-legged on a mat with my eyes closed, my back straight for 10 hours a day. That's that's what I assumed spiritually active meant. Spiritually active was just me connecting to God through somehow, uh, you know, sacrificing my my whole time, my whole day, what whatever it was. I had to connect to God. That was spiritual, and it is. I mean, I do meditate. I do meditate for a half an hour, but I don't sit there all day in meditation because I know that my mission is to go out and help others, and that's what they're saying here. Spiritually active is helping others. That's just that is so beautiful. It's amazing that you can get out of yourself, get out of your own problems, get out of your you know your own uh, sorrows and help other, and that lifts up my spirits. It brings me closer to God. It makes me spiritual. And it's just amazing how it works. It's really, really beautiful. I know a lot of people call and ask, how do you get spiritually close to God? How do you get spiritually active? How do you get, you know, how do you do this? What do you do? What is your spiritual practice? And I do have a spiritual practice in the morning when I get up. I I definitely do. That I do first thing in the morning, but also, part of that spiritual practice is all day long helping others, taking calls from other people, calling people that I know are in trouble, and just trying to do my best to pass on what was so freely given me. So thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Rick. This is Mary. Mary. I heard Terry first. Is that right? Oh, 
I'm sorry. There's a lot of noise on the line. Um, is it Perry that I heard? Who did? Who wants to share? Kathleen M. Kathleen M. Anyone else? Okay, Ma- Kathleen. And then Mary. Yeah. Oh, Mary. Okay. That's who I was hearing. Great. Go ahead, Kathleen. Hi, this is Kathleen M. Uh, recovered in Virginia. <clears throat> um, before I came to uh, listen to Vision for You, when I was sponsoring, I thought <laughs> spiritually active meant sponsor with the knowledge that I had the answer because I had followed what uh, the tools in my program. And it never occurred to me to look at how other people, recovered people did it, as in the big book. <clears throat> and, um, and I couldn't understand why my uh, abstinence and my recovery waned. And uh, when I listened to Vision for You, I received specific guidelines and directions how to overcome my resentment and all of my uh, horrible defects. And I have some tangible procedures to combat those uh, defects in my character. And I can sponsor and uh, ask uh, and, well, require my uh, sponsees to actively seek opinions of other recovered people because I don't have the answer um, myself. The answer's in the big book. And we all, uh, I think, bring a little bit different background to our interpretation of the big book. And, um, and you know, I'm not always right, but the answers are here. And it helps me uh, feel closer to my higher power that I'm actually connected with this uh, textbook that helps me um, not only become uh, closer to my higher power myself, but that allows me, <clears throat> excuse me, to share that with others. And that's what was missing before I came to a vision for you. I had this, uh, I didn't have the spiritual connection. It stopped with me, and uh, now it, it feels bigger, much bigger than me. And I'm really grateful to have uh, followed. My <laughs> lead to listen to vision for you. Thanks, I cash. Sorry about that. I was muted. Mary, please go ahead. This is Mary T. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater in Vermont, and I just wanted to comment on this. Um, their need to help others, and I'm currently working step 10 and 11 and finishing my ninth step, and um, I've been you know, seeking how to develop my relationship with my higher power and doing the work at night with the inventory, um, but trying to do that throughout the day, and I've been working really hard on the step 10 and started to feel kind of insecure the last couple of days. I'm, you know, I'm always um, making calls and seeking guidance from others in this big book, and Yesterday I was blessed with a phone call from somebody 
who needed some help, and uh, I was able to be of help one of the first times I'm new at this, and I was able to just turn to the directions in this big book instead of relying on my myself, and uh, I felt really lifted after. Um, it felt wonderful, and I was able to spend the rest of the afternoon with this gardening and with this sense that um, God was molding me to be uh, as he would have me be. And, you know, that was a direct result of, of working with somebody else and helping somebody else for my own need. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Mary. Um, this is Kathy. I'd like to take a quick turn. Uh, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and um, I noticed there was an asterisk at the end of the second paragraph that Elaine read. This refers to Bill's and Dr. Bob's first visit to AA number three. And when I read that, um, it reinforced the whole message of these two paragraphs about the importance of being spiritually active and reaching out to other compulsive overeaters. And I had a, a memory come up about the very first time that someone in OA came over to me after one of my early meetings and started talking with me. And I know today that had she not done that or someone like that had not come over to me, it's very likely I would not have come back to the rooms because at that point I was really struggling with all the references to higher power and God. Um, and I just was not sure that um, I belonged in the rooms or could benefit from the messages that were given. And this person just reached out to me, um, asked me some questions, invited me to talk, shared some of her own experience, and um, that made all the difference in the world for me. I wanted to come back the next week. Um, and uh, little by little, uh, I started talking with other fellows. And I know at some level that that was the beginning, that very, very early seed of a beginning um, that brought me to where I am today. And it really started with another compulsive overeater reaching out because she knew it was part of her recovery uh, to do so. So it really is um, a very spiritual process, the whole process of building community, talking to newcomers, um, knowing that this work is so important to our own recovery. And with that, I pass. Would anyone else like to share before we move on to the next two paragraphs? Okay, um, Melanie, I'm going to ask you to read the next three short paragraphs that ends, we're going to give you a treatment for alcoholism. Okay, thank you. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater calling in from Oregon this morning. Here's a prospect, all right, but by the description, none too promising. The use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. But one of the friends said, put him in a private room and we'll be down. 
Two days later, a future fellow of Alcoholics Anonymous stared glassily at the strangers beside his bed. Who are you fellows, and why this private room? I was always in a ward before. Said one of the visitors, we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. And I kind of read this over a couple of times, and where my mind is going to with this is that it's serious business, you know, this need to be able to reach out to, to someone else to share my story, to save what I have for myself and then also for the life of this particular um, possible protege prospect. Yet for me when I read this I found kind of some levity in it as I kind of span my own time of, of um, meeting a, a fellow that uh, may have called me to see how it was that I got what I had and to pass that on and oh, I am so grateful that I am not where I was then anymore and how I was sponsoring and I can imagine and you know, kind of developing a picture here. This is Bill D. Uh, AA number three and his abstinence date is June 26, 1935 and um, if I'm correct, I, I believe that Bob Smith's abstinence date is June 10, 1935 so 16 days and two people without a real plan with just some ideas and some hopes and some conversations with Silkworth and, and some Oxford group kind of backing behind and had gone marching in with maybe even a bit of ego into a hospital room. And Dr. Bob, you know, has some influence here. Put him in a private ward. We're going to come in. We're going to give him the treatment. We're going to give him the alcoholic treatment. And we're going to tell him what we want, um, or at least tell him what we've, what we've learned about ourselves. And, and, you know, some straightforward questions were asked. Um, you want to quit. You want to quit for good. And another comment that was made, uh, Bill, that you said, I think he's worth saving. Just some ideas and some thoughts, I think, in just a kind of amusing way in, in reflection of how these guys went in there. And I can tell you that from my interaction with my first sponsor and, and, and how much time she had in, and here I was uh, at such a case, such a case of mental illness. And I can imagine, you know, Bill... D being the same way, although he was a top-rated lawyer, a city councilman, and active in his church, uh, still a wet brain. He'd been in the hospital eight times in six months. Me too. Not in the hospital in a sense, but wet-brained. And I remember my sponsor saying, Melanie, I don't know what in the world I'm going to do with you. You know, I gave you this kind of information, and here you are with this kind of answer response, and it makes no sense. Absolutely no sense. You know, what are you thinking? And she was real direct. You know, if you're going to get this deal, you've got to do this kind of thing that I'm doing. And, and, I, <laughs> and I thought that I was understanding. And I'd go back and I'd try to read the, the stuff in the big book again. And I'd come back with an answer. And she just, but she, I would, I just I'm going to throw my hands up. I don't know what to do with you. And she really meant well. And I can tell you from my heart of hearts, she saved my life. The 18 months that I was with her, she was tough on me, but she saved my life, and she broke through that in the process of the separate, broke through that mental block, that mental fog, that, that intoxication, that anesthesia was in my head, and I was a corker. Talk about promises. You know, we didn't know much about promises in those days either, of tolerance and love and, 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 and kindness and, and sweetness and whatever those, those promises are. But anyway, that's how I take these three paragraphs. Thanks for letting me share, and I'll pass. Thank you, Melanie. Who would like to share on these paragraphs? This is Bella. Can I share? Sure. Go ahead, Bella. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. 
the use of, of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. Yes, I agree with this sentence. Yes, before I came to the program, I didn't know, I didn't understand, I didn't accept the, the spiritual principles as I understand them now. Thank you, God. Even though I came from a religious background, I didn't accept, I didn't understand that there are spiritual principles. For me, God was something in heaven, nothing to do in my everyday life. In my everyday life, I am the manager. I am managing my life. I don't know how to manage my life. Well, it's my problem. Um, I was afraid to build up a relationship with God. For me, God was something that I have to be scared of, that, you know, he is a punishing God. If I am a bad girl, I will get punished. And obviously, I was all the time a bad girl, even though I didn't know what I am doing wrong. But I was, I lived in so much fear that I, I, I didn't want to build any connection with God. You know, for me, I would, you know, I, I would find myself saying, oh, oh, I am sorry, I am sorry, I will behave better next time. But I didn't know how. And thank you, God, thank you, God, that God trusted me and he just brought me into these rooms. And I remember the first time that I went to a face-to-face -face meeting and people were talking about God, I was so angry and I said to myself, well, I am coming to lose weight. Why those people are talking about God? And thank you, God, that I was able to do the steps. And yes, now I understand better the spiritual principle. And yes, step one is the only step that we have to do it 100% completely fine. And yes, I had to understand and to accept that I am powerless. And I am now choosing to be connected to God. For me now, God is a loving God, a respecting power, a power that accepts me and respects me and trusts me. Now my spiritual principle is a God of love and acceptance. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? Sarah W. Go ahead, Sarah. Good morning, Kathy Kay. Thank you for your service. Good morning, everyone. Sarah W., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Um, uh, this is this is the story of um, the man on the bed. Um, you know, if you ever see the, the picture of uh, Bill and Bob standing next to the bed with a third alcoholic, that's that's his story. And there is um, a story in the book that is um, Alcoholic no Alcoholics Anonymous number three in the fourth edition. It's on page 182. If you care to read it, and um, you know, I'm I'm not really you know. I know it all about the big book, but I know certain things. And, you know, they didn't even have the 12 steps at this point. 
um, you know, we, we were talking a little bit yesterday about um, the way to find out information, which is AA Comes of Age is one of the best ones. Uh, pass it on. And um, Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers uh, are the three books that really have a lot of information. But on page 263, it talks about the six tenants. Uh, and that was, uh, my understanding is from the Oxford group. Um, one was complete deflation. Two was dependence and guidance from a higher power. So we have step one with complete deflation. Um, dependence and guidance from a higher power is really step three. Moral inventory is step four. Confession uh, is step five. Restitution is step nine. And then continued work with other alcoholics is um, step 12. Uh, so those are the tenets. So we're missing a few there. And thank you, God, they brought those others in because I think they're extremely important. Uh, but, you know, I was going to say that, um, you know, it's a, it's a great reminder, um, as was stated by Kim, you know, so beautifully, that, you know, when I work with somebody else, um, it brings me back to where I was. And yesterday I was in a treatment facility where somebody um, was speaking, and um, it was a drug and alcohol treatment facility. But, you know, so many people come into, um, into treatment facilities because they have to. And here we are. Most of us are here because we want to be here. It's just the effort to which we put uh, our recovery first and, and really want to, to get well. We are sick people. And so, you know, here he was so many times, this, this guy had been in the hospital, and it's saying, we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. And, you know, that's what we get when we, when we work these steps. When, some, when one alcoholic or one compulsive overeater works with another, we're getting a treatment for our disease. And, you know, I've thought many times, um, you know, if I had cancer, I'm not sure. You know, I'm a nurse. I'm not sure I would go through certain things. But, you know, I really have a chance to live life today because of this treatment that I have that's called the 12 steps. Uh, and, you know, it's all, it's all depends on how much I'm willing to put into it, you know. And, you know, I'm so grateful today that I, that I have the willingness and that you are all along here with me. And, you know, we don't have to do it perfect, but we just have to try our best. That's really what it's about, trying our best and being willing to do the work. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah W. Who else would like to share on these paragraphs? Kathy, this is Janice again. I just want Leia. to Oh, Oh, Janice and then Leah. Go ahead, yeah, Janice. Yeah, it's just an interesting note. I had the privilege of being at that hospital where Bill W. and Dr. Bob, and you know, met uh, uh, Bill D. And, of course, now we know he was in the ward for eight times, right? But the head nurse there for alcoholism said, oh, put this one in, in the flower room. They took all the flowers out of the room and put them in there. And guess what? Talk about divine intervention that was the same room that bill w was in in that hospital the town's hospital so that's really something and i thought that was so interesting and with that i pass thanks thanks janice and leo please go ahead thanks so much kathy 
Um, Yeah, it says here, uh, the use of spiritual principles in such cases was not so well understood as it is now. And, of course, that statement, we're giving you a treatment for alcoholism. I mean, this really is a remarkable, remarkable story. Um, You know, this guy, as it was stated, you know, Bill D., uh, during the first six months of 1935, he was hospitalized eight times, eight times. Um, You know, this is not about merely putting a plug in the jug. I mean, this guy had stopped hundreds of times. The question for Bill D. and the question for me (laughs) and Bill W. and Dr. Bob is, how do you stay stopped? You know, how do you stay stopped? And that's where these spiritual principles come in. You know, the 12 steps, as they developed over time, obviously, are spiritual in nature, which, if practiced as a way of life, does two things. Number one, it rids us of the obsession to compulsively overeat. Can you imagine? And <laughs> that's what happens. It expels, it drives out that obsession, and that was the case for Bill D., as hopeless as he seems at this point. And number two, it enables the suffering compulsive overeater become happily and usefully whole. And, of course, that's going to be Bill D.'s story as well. And that's exactly what uh, Dr. Bob and Bill W., who sat by the bedside, you know, were about to describe, you know, that, you know, that if if you're like me, and I don't know if you are, if you're like me, your greatest obstacle to your recovery will be your own judgment. Doing what you think is best is what got you here. So how sinister it would be if we turned over your prescription for your own recovery to your judgment, the judgment that got you in this place, the judgment that got Bill strapped down uh, again for the eighth time. You know, so the program of recovery, this treatment of alcoholism, is serious business. It's serious business. Our main problem rests in our mind. Bill's main problem rests in his mind, not his intellect. He's obviously a very intellectual fellow. But his belief system, his attitudes, his ideas and emotions. And, of course, Bill W. and Dr. Bob are now going to uh, utilize their dark past as the greatest possession that they have because it's going to be the key to life and happiness for this alcoholic number three. It is going to uh, be the special gift that enables um, Bill D. to be saved. You know, the big book says, you know, we have recovered and have been given the power to help others. You know, we are not the, uh, we are not, you know, the catalyst for change uh, that has to be worked out with one's willingness and one's uh, submission to God, but certainly we can be utilized as God's agents because we are proof, living proof, that some power greater than ourselves has restored us to sanity. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Okay, um, I'd like to ask Anita J. to read the next two paragraphs, please. Anita, are you there? Press star one. Yeah, I was pressing the wrong numbers, wrong Okay, name. now you're here. Great, this thank an- you. This is Anita J. Recovered in Massachusetts. 
Hopelessness was written large on the man's face as he replied, Oh, but that's no use. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. The last three times I got drunk on the way home from here. I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't stand it. For an hour, the two men told him about their drinking experiences. Over and over, he would say, that's me, that's me, I drink like that. Well, visionaries, I've been in this program since 1978. And that's me, this this total identification 100% identification has only come with a vision for you. Something changed here. Hearing from people all over the country, identifying for the first time that this is not about my alcoholic mother. This is me. Irregardless of how many times I read this book, this is me. And that is why today I am recovered. Those fellows also must have shown him a vision. I never read this chapter. Twelve, the um, big book meetings don't go this far. I never read it. And it's got everything in it, everything. It encompasses this book, and it encompasses me, and it it encompasses this vision of living, this way of living that I never dreamed about. And um, with that, I pass. Thank you very much. Thank you, Anita J. Who would like to share on this pleasure? So this is Kathy Kay, and I'll take a turn. Um, as I was listening to the paragraphs and listening to Anita, I realized that for me too, it wasn't until I came to Vision for You um, that I really uh, surrendered entirely to this program and to the spiritual program outlined in this book. And as I think about it, it's not only the close study of the words in this book, but also the quality of sharing and reflection on this line that helps me to identify with this source. Um, I can remember when I first started reading the big book, um, I certainly found it interesting, but I really did not entirely identify with what I was reading. Uh, there was a small part of me that that uh, said, well, I'm not quite this bad. I'm not really an alcoholic with food. And um, I can say today with all honesty that I am an alcoholic with food and that I need to live this program one day at a time, including that very important step, step 12, of reaching out to newcomers and working with fellow sufferers, not just to be helpful to them, but to ensure my defense against the first bite. And with that, I pass. Is there anyone else who'd like to share on this paragraph? These two this, is, this is Paula. May I share? Go ahead, Paula. Yes. 
Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your service. This would be Paula in London, in New Hampshire. You know, I want to look here. Hopelessness was written large. What does he mean by that? What does that mean, written large? All the masks are off. All the masks are off. You know the ones we wear. Oh, yeah, everything's okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I've said it enough times. I lived it enough times. You put it down? Oh, yeah, I did. For God, yeah. And I meant it. And I meant it. What does he say here? The last three times I got drunk on the way home from here. I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. And may I tell you, I went to the meetings. There was always a big book in my thing. It wasn't the big book. Big book was part of it. Listening was part of it. But it had to be that humility, that humbleness to know who I was, but more so to know who God was, to know who God was. And then he says, for an hour, the two friends, and look at how he refers to them. Two friends, he already felt that they were friends. Told him about their drinking experiences over and over. This is what he would say. He'd listen. That's me. That's me. That's when the hope, the hopelessness was written large on his face. And then the hope, the hope, wait, they were where I was. And I have a chance of being where they are. That's what they told him. This was before the big book was even written. You see what carried them? I do. For it carried me. And that's God himself. I thank you for the tools and the, and the people that he's provided. And the meetings and the big book. And the listening and the learning. So with that I say thank you to all. And I pass. Thank you, Paula. We have time for one more share. Who would like to share? Monica. Go ahead, Monica. Good morning, Kathy. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Hopelessness was written large on the man's face. Wow. You know, hopelessness, desperation, Oh, he replied, oh, but that's no use. Nothing would fix me. I'm a goner. The last three times, I got drunk on the way home from here. I'm afraid to go out the door. I can't understand it. And I can relate to this. This is how I came into OA. I was desperate. Nothing was working. My best intentions, my best uh, resolutions, you know, over and over every day. Um, I'm going to do this today. And it never worked. It didn't happen. Hopeless. Just hopeless. But we go back when we go back to the forward to the first edition, I like how that very first paragraph says We of Alcoholics Anonymous are more than one hundred men and women who have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So it seemed very hopeless for him. But these two friends are standing on the other side of the bed have walked a path, and they know it's not hopeless, and they're going to share this with him. But how do they do that? First of all, they start by telling him about their experiences over and over again. They're sharing with him their personal stories of drinking. How simple, you know? But throw out the line and start dragging us in, you know? Um, but 
how important that is that they didn't say, you know, God, the God did this for us, you know. They're sharing their stories, you know, just one recovering compulsive overeater talking to another compulsive overeater is the beginning. And how simple this is, but how effective it is. And thank God, it's not hopeless. And that's recovery. That's the spiritual awakening, knowing it's no longer hopeless. Thank you, God. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Um, Thank you, everyone, who has shared today. Uh, We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Elaine B., can you please read A Vision for You? Uh, Our book is meant to be suggestive only. Are you there, Elaine? Yes, I can, Kathy. Yeah. Okay, I great. Just a second. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Elaine B. Recovered in Massachusetts. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.